Look in Genesis uh, chapter 3. We're going to be going to look, look at a, quite a few verses and try to kind of line them up as we can go through the scriptures together. Uh, I want to share a message entitled An Encounter with God. And um, just a couple of things. Remember this Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock is our uh, Christmas cantata. It's called the Christmas Song. So I want to encourage you to be there. There's some flyers and uh, tickets out there in the foyer that you can use and invite people out to the cantata. And uh, so you be praying about that and pray that uh, we'll see someone come and get saved as a result of uh, putting the cantata together. And also the uh, new bus is out there. We were picked that up today. It's the white school bus that's over sitting over by the motor coaches. And uh, we have to get tags on it and all that stuff and get lettering on it. But uh, I, that was the first time I saw the bus was today. And I was shocked. It's a really a good bus. <laughs> and for the price that we got that, the Lord gave that to us. I can guarantee you that. Uh, and I give God the glory and praise for it. Amen. And we're, we've got to get it tagged up because we're already ready to use it on Sunday. We've got some things lined up for picking people up to bring them to the cantata and so uh, God knows how to provide for us in a great way. So encounter, in, encountering uh, God in Genesis chapter 8, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. And it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard the voice, thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Uh, this is, blame shifting is not something new. Started in the garden, amen. And uh, verse 13 says, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And so we know the story of how Adam and Eve were uh, um, uh, deceived, how they were manipulated, how they took of the forbidden fruit. And as a result of it, they were placed out of the Garden of Eden. But the, what I want us to think about is the fact that as they're in the garden in verse 8, they hear the voice of the Lord. And they have an encounter with God. And uh, it's an amazing thing that God would call out to them and desiring to have an encounter with them. And sometimes we forget that God does want it to be in fellowship with us. Uh, we know the scriptures tells us that we draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to us. Uh, there is uh, nothing uh, more moving and more powerful than to truly have an encounter with God, to be able to really experience God in a real way as you're reading the Bible, as you're praying, as you're meditating on the things of God. Uh, certainly when, you got, when I got saved, that was an amazing encounter that I had with God, that God brought conviction upon me and showed me through his word that I needed to be born again and I trusted Christ as my savior and I've never been the same since. That encounter with God, there's been times over the years of uh, being a Christian that there's been great seasons of prayer and meditation where the Lord 
uh, comes and speaks to us and reveals himself to us. When Moses brought Israel out of bondage, it was not just simply to set them free. It was to bring them to the place where God uh, could meet with them, where they could have an encounter with the God of heaven. And uh, I think the Lord wants us to pursue him. I think the Lord wants us to uh, have a, a fresh encounter with him each and every day. In my Bible class, we've been going through Second Peter and been dealing with Bible prophecy. And in light of the things that we know about what the future holds in reference to Bible prophecy, what should our lifestyle be? Uh, how, should that, how does that impact us? Uh, does that move us closer to the Lord? Or are we just willing to slip by the wayside and slide away from God? And we need to be refreshing our relationship with the Lord and encounter with God. What I did, I went through and just kind of looked up some different individuals and looked at the impacts that God had on their life when they met with the Lord. And I just want to make some practical applications with that tonight. First of all, in uh, Genesis chapter 5, in uh, verse 20, uh, we see Enoch. And uh, in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 20, it says, And all the days of Jared were 960 and two years, and he died. That's not the verse I wanted. But anyway, we'll, we'll get it here. And uh, in verse 18, it says, And Jared lived 160 and two years, and he begat Enoch. And so when we talk about Enoch, we think of Enoch walk with God, and he was not, for the Lord took him. That's what it says in Genesis 5 and verse 24. And that we know that Enoch, according to Jude, uh, was a man who was a preacher of righteousness in uh, Jude. And if I can get over there real quick, we'll look at that. And uh, thinking about Enoch's uh, mind, having the mind of God, he walked with the Lord and he was not, for the Lord took him. And uh, so certainly it is evident that God and, and Enoch were in fellowship one with another. The Apostle Paul challenges us in Philippians, uh, let this mind be in you which also is in Christ Jesus. So our mindset, our thinking process needs to be biblical, spiritual oriented and not consumed with secular things. And so uh, we can have a relationship with God that will be impacting and life changing. In Jude, in verse 14, says, And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his angels to ex execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so Enoch was a preacher of righteousness. Enoch was a man who revealed the mind of God. He revealed the will of God. And uh, I think the world in which we live in uh, needs somebody to be able to reveal uh, how God feels about things, uh, whatever it may be. I mean, there's this whole big thing with immunizations right now. Tomorrow they're going to be voting on whether you can still have a religious exemption and not have you know, your children immunized and all this, that, and the other. Uh, you know, you deal with uh, New Jersey, pass a law that, you know, illegals uh, who are, uh, can have a driver's license. Uh, I mean, you, 
you deal with all these issues constantly, uh, the LGBTQ community and all this, that, and the other, and uh, businesses succumbing to the influence and the impression and intimidation by these groups that are completely immoral. What does God have to say about all this? And an encounter with God enables us to be able to gain the heartthrob or the mind or the thinking process of God to know how to respond to these different situations in the life. And we're in the world, whether you like it or not, we're in it. We don't have to be of it, don't need to be a part of it, and we should be separated from it, but we're supposed to be impacting it. And so Enoch was a man who preached and revealed that the judgment of God was coming on all those that are ungodly. And so I believe Enoch would represent a closeness of God or encounter with God by gaining the knowledge of the mind of God, how God thinks about issues and how he responds. The amazing thing is this, is there is progression here in Genesis chapter 5 in reference to the genealogy of Enoch and working its way up to uh, Noah. And here's a couple of things that we can look at here. First of all, we see that Jared, Enoch was, uh, Jared was Enoch's father, and Jared means prostrate, laying down or being humbled, I guess you could say. In verse 18, it says, and Jared lived 162 years and he begat Enoch. And so the father of Enoch, the Enoch, the man who had the mind of God, uh, literally was one who was in a position or a posture of humility before God. And then he gives uh, begets uh, Enoch as his son. And in verse 21, it says Enoch lived 600, I'm sorry, 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. Now Enoch, the word name Enoch means dedicated. And so when you think about gaining the mind of God, you see this progression. you got to be humble before the Lord and be committed to God. You need to be dedicated to the Lord to be able to spend time with God, to be able to gain his understanding and his knowledge about things. And so we go from Jared, who is prostrate, uh, to Enoch, who is dedicated. Enoch has Methuselah, and the name Methuselah means weapon. It literally means a dart. It has the idea of using a dart or a dagger as a weapon. And so Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And so we go from Jared to Enoch to Methuselah. Methuselah uh, begets Lamech in verse 25. And so Methuselah lived 180 uh, and seven years and begat Lamech. Lamech means powerful. And uh, if we're going to have power in this world, we have got to be surrendered to and committed to God and allowing him to use us as a weapon against the enemy. And so Lamech means powerful. And then Lamech begets a son, and it says in verse 29, he called his name Noah, as saying, this same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And so Noah means rest. And so it's just, it's interesting that as the world is progressing to get more and more wicked, 
The wickedness of a man is every wicked imagination of his heart. The world we're living in is consumed. And you think you can't see anything more vile and more wicked. Man, it just bursts right in front of your face. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man returneth. And I'm telling you, we're entering into the days of Noah. But here is the ability to uh, deal with all these things is to have an encounter with God based on the fact of being humble and dedicated, uh, being uh, an instrument in the hand of God that it can be used in a powerful way to bring rest in the land. And the world was destroyed in the days of Noah, but Noah and his family had rest on the ark. And we can bring people to a place of rest if we'll just allow ourselves to gain the mind of Christ. I've just really been challenging my Bible class about this thing of they've got to be students of the Word of God. They've got to know what God has to say. They've got to understand the scriptures, the, the world in which we live is, is flooded with all kinds of false doctrine. The internet, you go on and you have every kind of thing that you can imagine when it comes to misinterpreting the scriptures. You have got to be a student of the word of God. You've got to get the mind of God. And the only way you gain the mind of God is by having an encounter with God where he is real and you're real and it's real time that you're spending with the Lord. And so Enoch would help us to see this matter of spending time with God, having an encounter with God, uh, will get, help you to gain the mind of God. Uh, second one I want to look at is in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12 in verse 1 through 3, we have Abraham. Now, certainly we know the story of Abraham, and Abraham uh, is, depicts for us this matter of having the righteousness of God. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and, to, and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto the land that I will show thee, and I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. It is very clear to see that God is meeting with Abraham, and Abraham is having an encounter with the Lord. And in James chapter 2, in verse 23, tells us, And the Scriptures was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. And so this, this concept of having an encounter with God we see through Abraham is to experience uh, having the righteousness of God imputed to us or given to us. So first of all, we see this encounter that Abraham has is based on God's call. That's what verse 1 tells us. God came to him and said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto the land that I will show you. And God has a call for each one of us. Uh, God has a plan and a purpose for each of our lives. And uh, the greatest thing that you can do in your life 
is to have that time alone with God, that encounter with God, where you understand that God has something he wants you to accomplish for his glory. And the only way, the only process that will enable you to accomplish that for God's glory is to respond to God's call in your life, depending on the fact that everything you need to be godly can be experienced uh, through your encounter with the Lord. And so there's the call of God. And uh, I was just thinking of another verse here I wanted to look up real quick. And it came to my mind, so I want to look it up real quick. In Second uh, Peter chapter 1, in verse 3, it says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That's an amazing verse. Because it's basically telling us that everything we need to live the Christian life, God has already given it to us. And it's our time with God, our encounter with God that enables that divine power and divine spirit, divine character to manifest itself in a powerful way. He says, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And so we, God has a call. And God has a plan, and he gives us everything that is necessary for us to be able to live our Christian life in a positive, powerful way. I was talking with Pastor Dwan about all these different issues right now going on, especially here in New Jersey. And, you know, years ago, years ago, if Christians acknowledged the fact that we have the righteousness of God, and we lived in accordance with the righteousness of God rather than allowing the world to dictate how we're supposed to live. And we refuse to bend when these compromising situations come up. We would not be dealing with the issues we're dealing with today. But because we ignored it, we refused to do anything about it. We allow the world to grab our attention and manipulate us. Rather than following the call of God, then this is the world we're living in. And uh, Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And so there is a call of God upon each one of our lives, and God had a call on Abraham's life. I see in verse 2 and verse 3 that there was a promise, God's promise. He said, I'll make you a great nation. You know, God can do some great things in your life. He really can. He can do things that you cannot even begin to comprehend what he can do. That bus that's sitting out there is a miraculous uh, vehicle. We're going to call it. I told Jimmy, he brought, went and got it today. I told him, I said, we're going to name this the Faith Wagon. Amen. Because <laughs> that's what it is. We believed God to get it. We trusted God to pursue after it. We had an encounter with the Lord and asking God to give it to us, and it's there by faith. And so that's the faith wagon. Amen. And so God gave some promises. He said, Abraham, you're going to be a great nation. And you can be great for God if you live in accordance with the promises of God. He said, I'll bless you. That's how you become great. That's how you become successful. He said, I'll make your name great. He said, matter of fact, you're going to be a blessing. 
He said, I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Saints of God, I want to challenge you with this thought tonight that based on our relationship with God, based on our ability to get along with God and encounter him, we can do things that are magnificent and miraculous beyond our abilities to do because they are based on what the promises of God are. And so God's call, God's promise, and then God's impression. That's why I had read James chapter 2 and verse 23. Uh, he had God imputed to Abraham his righteousness. Why? Because Abraham believed God, and God responded to Abraham's faith, and he imputed or deposited or planted in him or impressed upon him the righteousness of God Almighty. May I say this? When we go to God in prayer, we spend times alone with the Lord. When we get done, we ought to be changed. Uh, when we get done praying, we ought to get up with a sense of, you know what? God met with me and God spoke to me and God wants to do something in my life right now. And it ought to change us. It ought to make a difference in our life. And I just know this, that any time that you're willing to encounter God, uh, God will move in a great way. I remember years ago, it is a long time ago now, uh, we were at a prayer advance and I was praying and I just, I don't know, God impressed on my heart about praying for sin. And I prayed for God to purge the church. And uh, it was a pre-prepared message or pre-prepared thought or pre-prepared prayer. God's Holy Spirit was impressing that on my heart. And I'm going to tell you something. God exposed some things. And God purged the church. We don't want to pray that way. We don't want to pray that, God, you do something miraculous. God, you get people convicted. God, you move upon people's hearts. I'm telling you, there is an encounter that you can experience with God that is a miraculous move based on the righteousness of God. When we come out of time of prayer, when we come out of our time of fellowship with God, there ought to be the impression of God on us. Abraham was a demonstration of having the righteousness of God. Enoch was a demonstration of gaining the knowledge of the mind of God. Well, I see in Genesis chapter 32, Genesis 32 and verse 9, uh, we see Jacob, and when we think of Jacob, we don't always think positive, pleasant things about him, but the reality is Jacob experienced the blessings of God coming upon him, and uh, that helps me because if somebody as wicked as Jacob was, his name means trickster, if somebody like him could be blessed of God, then I can have hope that I could be blessed of God. So Jacob receiving the blessings of God in Genesis 32 in uh, verse 9 says, And while he yet spake with them, uh, Rachel came with her father. Well, I'm not in the right chapter. I'm saying that's not the right passage. Better get over to chapter 32. Amen says, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, and the Lord. You know, it's a good thought there. It's a good sermon right there. Can your, can your children and your great children pray like Jacob in reference to 
God, the God of my father, the God of my grandfather. That's what he's praying. He's crying out to God. That's a good sermon. I'm going to have to develop something on that. Oh, Jacob said, oh, God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac, the Lord which saidest unto me, return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant, for with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I'm become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with her, the children. And thou said, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So a couple of things here about Jacob as he's having this encounter with God. Notice, first of all, his humility, his humility. He's willing to acknowledge the move of God and the blessings of God upon his father and his grandfather. And then his response when he acknowledges God's blessings on their life, he's, in verse 10, he just said, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies. He was humbled by the, the ability of God to bless his father and grandfather. He said, I'm not worthy uh, lest all these of, uh, of thy mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. And so when we think about receiving the blessings of God, remember this, whatever blessings that come your way, it's not because you rightfully deserve it. It's because of the mercy of God. And so it's a humbling thing when we see God moving in our life and God blessing. And I was thinking about that bus. We were out there and we parked it and we, I was looking it over and I, I, was, I was humbled by it. I said, God, I, I don't deserve to see you do something like this. I really don't. And I, I saw that and I was like, God, once again, you have showed yourself so faithful and so true. And yet I'm so unfaithful. I, I, I struggle many times with just being faithful to do the things I know God wants me to do. It's humbling when we see God moving in our life. The blessings of God humble us in the presence of our God. Notice also, not only do you see his humility in getting the blessings of God, but you see his dependence in getting the blessings of God. In verse 11, he says, Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. What fears do you have in your life? What things that are distressing you about living your life and uh, uh, being uh, surrendered to God? What, what is it that's overwhelming you? I want you to know this tonight, that an encounter with God reminds us that we can depend upon God. Jesus said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And I'm thankful that when Paul was writing to the Philippians and he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, that literally means that I can completely, totally depend on God in every area of my life for everything that I need in my life. And Jacob, he needs to face uh, his brother and he's going. It's interesting. There's so much we can draw out of this. He's going there because God commanded him to go there. 
And so he's reminding God, I know you told me to go back to my country, back to my kindred, but I want you to know I'm afraid of Esau. Because when I left, we were on pretty bad terms. When I left, he was looking to kill me. And now you commanded me to go back. I've got, I've got to depend on you, God. I was talking to someone the other day, and we were talking about faith. And I said, really, faith is really depending on God in a way that if God doesn't come through, you're not going to make it. So we, we say we have faith a lot of times. I don't know I say I have faith a lot of times, but I've already got it figured out. I already got it figured out how I'm going to approach it, how I'm going to deal with it. And that's not faith. That's manipulation. And I need to live my life in a way where I have to totally depend upon God. I'm humbled by his blessings, but it puts me in a position of dependence upon him. And so I want to encounter God in a way that I am expressing dependence on him. My wife and I, we went to Bible college, had no jobs, had no money, had nothing. I think we had enough money to maybe last for two months to be able to buy, pay rent on the apartment we rented and all this. Uh, we had to depend on God. And, uh, and so uh, just knowing that God can take care of us and God can bless us, but it's going to take us depending on the Lord. Notice in uh, verse 24 and 25, uh, 24, 25, and 26, of this chapter, you see his wrestling. Uh, sometimes we need to wrestle with the Lord. Sometimes it's a struggle uh, when you're looking to God and depending on God to do something. Jacob was left alone, and they you know sometimes you just need to get alone with God. Uh, how often do you just go off by yourself and just get alone with the Lord? It's great to pray together. It's great to have prayer partners. It's great to have a prayer chain. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes you just need to get alone with God. Just you and God, completely alone. And he says here, Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. As he wrestled with him, and he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And sometimes there is that wrestling with God to ask God, depend upon God, to come through in different situations in our life. When you wrestle with the Lord, and you don't give up praying, you don't give up going after God, you don't give up being alone with the Lord, uh, you're, literally, God will come through for you and answer that prayer that you have. And I just think of answered prayers that people have experienced because they're willing just to keep going to God, fellowshipping with God, being at one with God, and, uh, and, and saying, well, I don't know how it's going to come out. I can't, I can't not do this on my own. I just can't let you go. I'm not going to fall in disbelief. I, God, I, I need you to come through right now. And have an encounter with God where God miraculously moves and blesses in a great way. So we see his wrestling. We see his charge. In verse 27, it says, he said unto him, what is thy name? And I'm oh, uh, not charge, his change. I'm sorry about that. And sometimes I can't read my own typing. Amen. It says, and he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, 
For as a prince has thou power with God and with man and has prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Having an encounter with God where God changes everything. Jacob's name was uh, meant uh, trickster, but yet now his name has been changed to Israel, which deals with the fact that he is a prince. And God can change things in our lives if we're willing to struggle with God and uh, depend upon the blessings of God to get us through. If God would work such a powerful way in the life of Jacob, uh, he can work in your life that way also. And it's only been, listen, it's only been through times of struggling in prayer that God has moved miraculously in my personal life. It's only been through times of the church struggling in prayer, pursuing after God, wanting an encounter with God, that God does miraculous things in the church. And so Jacob was blessed because uh, he was willing to pursue his God and uh, have an encounter with God Almighty. Well, we'll do one more here, and we'll have to finish it up next week. We look at David. David would represent repentance towards God, in Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is identified as what is called a penitential psalm because it is one of um, penance or repentance uh, in reference to the condition of man, specifically in reference to David's sin. Uh, McShane said this, understanding can wait, but obedience cannot. And oftentimes we want to understand why we're going through or understand what is going on. And God just simply wants us to be obedient. And if, if Psalms 51 and verse 1, David said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin." For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. And so notice the repentance of David, his encounter with God uh, was birthed out of a cry for mercy. Have mercy upon me, O God. And he's not wanting God to have mercy upon him because he felt deserving of God's mercy, but rather he wanted God to show mercy upon him according to the loving kindness of God. And uh, sometimes I think people paint God unjustly as being an, an ogre judge who just wants to destroy mankind. But the reality is God wants to forgive. God wants to show mercy. God wants to show grace. And uh, we need to respond to God crying out for his mercy to be extended to us. And when sins overwhelm us, when sins consume us, when we feel that we've been drawn away from our God, we need to go back in fellowship with the Lord and pursue God depending upon his mercy to be extended. Verse 2 reminds us, 
that this encounter with God depends on God's cleansing. We need the cleansing of God. Wash me thoroughly for my, from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So how can I have an encounter with God if I'm going to God consumed with sin? How can I have an encounter with God when I go after God and I'm consumed with the, the things of this world? And so I need God to cleanse me. I need God to wash me thoroughly and completely and to deliver me uh, from the bondage of all of my sin. Uh, we're living in an era in, Chris, uh, in history in Christianity where uh, it is really being pushed that you can be saved and you don't have to worry about your life being changed. And that is not found in the scriptures. We don't change our life to become holy, to be saved. That's a work salvation. But it certainly is evidence in the scriptures that when we do come by faith, we experience the grace of God and we're delivered from the bondage of our sins. We're set free from that. We receive the righteousness of Christ. It is the natural response that we live a holy life. And so it's because God is cleansing us. And that cleansing process goes on and on and on and on. And so I need to be cleansed uh, by God's grace and God's mercy. And then David deals with confession. That's why in verse 3 he says, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin uh, before thee. And when somebody gets saved, they have to acknowledge they're a sinner. They have to acknowledge, yes, I know that I have broken God's law. And yes, I need the forgiveness of God. They have to confess. Amos 3.3 said, can two walk together except they be agreed? Uh, confession is just getting in agreement with God. That's all it is. Getting in agreement with God. Speaking the same thing that God is saying. And David says, Lord, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sins. And then in verse 4, he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. The reality is, is when we fall into sin, we're not so much sinning against ourselves and others around us, although we are sinning against them. Ultimately, we're sinning against God. And the reason why God said thou shalt not kill is because God created man in his image. And when someone takes someone else's life, they are literally lashing out at God. So the murderer has sinned against the person he killed. The murderer has sinned against society in which he lives. But ultimately the sin is that he has sinned against God. And we, we don't acknowledge these things in our life and we don't confess them as sins, and in reality, we're sinning against God when we sin against one another. And so confession, he says, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sins ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And so confession. If I want to be able to encounter God and experience a spirit of repentance in my heart and in my life, then it's going to require the mercy of God that will bring the cleansing of God based on the fact that I'm willing to acknowledge my sin. I'm willing to confess my sin before God so that I can be right with him. Why? Because I want to encounter with God. I, I don't want to pray prayers that just seem like they go to the ceiling and come back down. There's been a lot of prayers I've prayed that way. 
I don't want to walk around in my Christian life as if I'm a zombie and I, there's no life in me at all. It's just uh, I got a head knowledge of who God is, but it really doesn't impact my life. I don't want to live that way. I want to be able to live my life each and every day with a new zeal, a new experience, a new uh, desire uh, to know who God is and experience God in my life. And uh, if we uh, pursue God with that desire, I know this, that God will meet with us. So encounter with God. We'll continue that next week and look at some other things. 